You're here on a great day because we are wrapping up our series on the blessed life. And I think these last five or six weeks, I don't know about you. I hope that it's the same is true for you, but they have been rich in my life. Walking through the Beatitudes here on the front end of the Sermon on the Mount has been so good. And what we've discovered and seen here in Matthew 5 is Jesus unpacking the character of the citizens of the kingdom of God. That's what we've kind of been walking through these last six weeks. We've seen that this kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is an uncommon kingdom and that the citizens of this kingdom have an uncommon blessing and an uncommon happiness. And as we rest in that, we're given an uncommon character and we get an uncommon perspective. And what we're going to see this morning is how... How all of these things that we are in this uncommon kingdom lead us to a life of uncommon purpose. Uncommon purpose. You know, in week one, we talked about how the entire Sermon on the Mount, the whole thing was really just about one thing. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus teaching this, and all three of those chapters are about uh, Jesus teaching his disciples what the kingdom of God looks like. And he's answering the question, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? The Greek word that Jesus uses when he says kingdom is the word basileia. Basileia, this word means the rule and reign of the king. So when he says the kingdom of God, he is talking about the rule and the reign of God. And this, this idea of God's rule and his reign in our life is incredibly significant for us. It's incredibly important to understand as we live out this kingdom life, and here's why, because the kingdom of this world is broken. Do you believe that? It's broken. The kingdom of this world is we see brokenness all around us. It's why we experience such devastation. It's why there are things like death and immorality and and, and injustice and racism and murder and war and hatred and divorce and selfishness and sickness and suffering and why the Rangers can't seem to hit a baseball, in my opinion. It's because the world's broken. It's jacked up, is what I'm saying. You know what I mean. It, the world is messed up. But this was not God's original design. This was not the way it was supposed to be, and it was not always like this. God created the world in perfection. And when he was done, he sat back, and he, he surveyed all that he had made, including humanity. And what did he say? It is very good. He pronounced this is good over his kingdom, over what he had brought. This was his kingdom on earth. But something happened. Something happened. And humanity rebelled against God. We committed high treason against our king. And in doing that, the kingdom of darkness invaded and brokenness entered the equation. And since that moment, since that moment in the garden with Adam and Eve, mankind has been trying to fix ourselves. We've been trying to fix our brokenness. We try to fix it with success. We try to fix it with position. We try to fix it with stuff and money. We try to fix it with sex and relationships and substances and all sorts of things that we use to try and fix our brokenness. But you know what all those things are? They're fig leaves. They're fig leaves. Do you remember what happened when Adam and Eve fell in the garden? What was the first thing they did? 
They went and got some fig leaves and covered themselves to hide from one another and to hide from God. And all of these things that we do, we do in an effort to hide the brokenness and make it feel a little better and not seem as bad. But the reality is, listen, fig leaves only lead to more brokenness. They only lead to further separation from God. They only lead to deeper oppression. Some of you know what I'm saying is true. Because you've spent your life trying to feel better about your condition by leaning into all those things I've talked about. And what you keep discovering is, I just get deeper in and never less broken. Am I right? So, something's got to happen. We need something outside of us. If we can't fix our brokenness, then what do we do? What do we do? Well, in that moment, that Adam and Eve fell, sin into the world, humanity was broken. In that moment, God promised that he would send a king who would defeat our enemy and who would restore humanity's brokenness and redeem us back to the king. And in doing this, he would usher in his kingdom again. That's the gospel. The gospel is we fell, but God promised a king and in Jesus he delivered. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 and 22 say this for as by man came death. That's the fall. That's where we messed it up. By man has come also the resurrection of the dead. That's the king coming to the kingdom for as in Adam all die. That's the brokenness. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. That's the king of the kingdom coming to fix that brokenness. Jesus ushers this kingdom in and he restores what is broken so that through the cross, through his death and his resurrection, the reign of sin and death is defeated and he has made a way for us to be delivered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. How does that happen? How do we do that? Jesus said this in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So what do we do? Repent and believe in what? The gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. When we, re when we repent of our sin and believe the gospel, that Jesus came to save me, that through the cross I am restored and I can be forgiven and I don't have to keep trying to fix myself. When we repent and believe the gospel, that good news that Jesus has done all that is necessary to heal my brokenness, when I repent and believe that, I am forgiven of my sin. And here's what Colossians chapter 1 says. When we repent and when we believe, Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us. Everybody say delivered. Oh, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. In other words, when we become citizens of the kingdom of God, Jesus has redeemed us out of the, the kingdom of this world and out of the kingdom of darkness, and he has transferred us. He's made a transplant out of one into the kingdom of his marvelous light where he rules and he reigns. And in the Sermon on the Mount, what we find is Jesus is showing us what this radical transformation of the gospel is producing in our lives. It's doing something. It's producing, right? 
What is this restoration of my brokenness and being redeemed back to God, his rule, his reign? What is it doing in me? And the answer is, it is giving you an uncommon life with an uncommon purpose. That's what it's doing. It is producing something in us. And that is a life uncommon and a purpose that is uncommon. So let's look and let's see what this uncommon purpose means for us. So grab your Bible, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. God's Word says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In that same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good deeds, your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We said last week, that it's no accident that these verses about salt and light come on the tail end of the Beatitudes, right? They're the epilogue. They're like the conclusion. They're kind of tying the bow around this teaching because when we've been transformed by the gospel, when we have feasted on the righteousness of Christ, when these attributes of being a kingdom citizen are lived out through us, we become difference makers in the world. Jesus is teaching us as his disciples how to display that discipleship. What's the point? It's this. Kingdom citizens are going to stand out. We're going to stand out. We're not going to look like citizens of the kingdom of this world. We're going we're gonna to stand out. We're going to talk different. We're going to walk different. We're going to live different because we have an uncommon life and we have an uncommon purpose. And purpose matters. Purpose matters. I think so many people <laughs> exhaust their lives trying to find purpose. They're trying to answer questions like, why am I here? What am I doing here? What am I supposed to do with my life? Why has God put me here? Why has God allowed this to happen? What does God want me to do? Does it, do those questions sound familiar to anybody? Maybe. Right? Because we're looking for that purpose. I think it's why people move from relationship to relationship. They're trying to find that purpose. They're trying to answer that question. It's why people bounce job to job. It's why people move city to city. It's why people go from social group to social group because they're trying to find their purpose. But here is what Jesus says. He is saying that in this kingdom, you have a purpose. And the purpose I'm going to give you, it transcends your circumstances to become something you can experience right where you are. So there's three phrases that I want us to see that we're going to pull from this text that help us understand how to live out this uncommon purpose. Here's the first one. So how, how do I live this out? All right. I've been trans been transitioned out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ and of his marvelous light. It's producing something in me. How do I live out this purpose? Here's the first thing you do. 
You embrace your kingdom identity. Embrace your king. Everybody say identity. Embrace, in verse 13 and 14, right at the first of those, there is a phrase that is repeated twice, and it is the words, you are. You are. This is a, the tense here is present active indicative, which means it is a present reality. It's a right now thing. This is not a you will be. It's not a you might be. It's not an even you should be. Jesus is telling us who we are. He says, you are, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. As a matter of fact, the tense that is used here could actually be translated. You and you alone are the salt of the earth. You and you alone are the light of the world. Meaning what? That if people don't see Christ in our lives, if they don't see Jesus in our living as salt and light, they won't see Christ. This is who we are. We have a kingdom identity. Jesus said, this is who you are. You are salt. You are light. And listen, Jesus gives these two analogies to demonstrate one major point, and that is that we are difference makers. Both salt and light are change agents, meaning they, there's no environment, there's no recipe, there's no situation where they don't enter and that thing changes. When, have you ever done the trick where you're sitting at the restaurant and you kind of Loosen up the salt shaker lid just a smidge. I know Ray Davis has done that a thousand times, right? Just, just, just a skosh, you know, you just, and then you dump it and your friend pours the whole salt out on his, I'm not giving anybody ideas. Guys, don't do that. It's terrible. Um, immediately that whole thing has changed, right? Because we're, we're a change agent. So let's unpack these two just for a moment. What does Jesus mean when he says we're the salt of the earth and we're the light of the world? We know that salt has a lot of uses. It adds flavor. It preserves. It purifies. Have you ever had salt get into like a tiny little scratch on your finger that you didn't know it was there? And then like one little grain of salt in it and you thought you were going to have to cut your whole finger off and just hope it grew back, you know, because it hurt when it got in there, right? Salt has all these uses. Um, In the Roman kingdom, they would actually at times pay soldiers with salt. Actually, pay them with salt. Uh, 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 other areas that had been conquered and people that had been enslaved, they would in the Roman times they would buy and sell slaves with salt. That's where we get the phrase "You're not worth your salt." Where that comes from, right? I didn't know that till earlier, and then I realized all the times my dad used to say, "Boy, you ain't worth your salt," and I was like, "Oh, that kind of hurts my feelings." You know, I kind of kind of stung a little bit, but that's what, that's where that comes from. But when Jesus talks about being the salt of the earth, in Jesus' culture, the primary use was flavor and preservation, right? They would rub that salt on meat and they would pack it in so that that meat would not decay and not rot. Jesus, when he calls us the salt of the earth, he is saying this earth is flavorless and it is rotting, it is decaying and it is dying. And our kingdom identity as salt means we are the agent God is using to preserve it. That's what it means. As salt... We give flavor in this world for godly things. 
as salt of the earth, as a kingdom citizen, you actually attract people to the feast of God's kingdom. As salt, we are positioned to help this world taste and see that the Lord is good. As salt, we are positioned to put a stop to the death and decay that sin is causing in this world. That's our role. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. I have placed you here because this world is rotting and it is flavorless. And you are to give them the flavor of the kingdom of God and preserve them. Stop the decay of sin. But look at what Jesus says next. This next part has always, uh, if I'm honest, kind of <laughs> was a little worrisome for me. Because Jesus says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? If, he's saying, if a kingdom citizen has lost the taste for godly things, if the kingdom citizen isn't living out their life as an agent of change, it says he's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. That ought to, if, if that's you, if you've lost your flavor for godly things, or you're not living your life to be an agent of change in the world God has given you, that verse ought to send off all kinds of flares into your spirit. Meaning what? Meaning the kingdom of God is not filled with citizens who receive the name of Jesus and don't walk with that banner everywhere they go. When I receive that name, I hoist that banner and every room I go into, it goes with me. It goes in front of me. It's, the, it's that salt of the earth. Eugene Peterson said this, if you lose your saltiness, how Will they taste godliness? How will they taste godliness if we've lost our saltiness? If we aren't living as agents of change in this world, we aren't fulfilling our God-given purpose. We're the salt of the earth. That's what that means. Here's what he says when he says, you are the light of the world. Again, light is an agent of change, right? It enables us to see. It drives out darkness, Without light, we, we wander aimlessly in the dark. Have you ever been in a situation where you were in a pitch black room? I mean, completely dark. Couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Who's ever been in one of those? Don't that, I don't like the dark. I'm just going to tell everybody in here. I don't care for it, not one bit. Uh, when we grew up, we would uh, go camping, and while the sun was up, I was a champion. I was little, super brave do anything, go anywhere, jump off of anything. It didn't matter. I was awesome. When that sun went down, mm -mm, I didn't like it, not even a little bit. When Jesus turned the lights off at night outside, I didn't feel good. And I didn't like the dark until my dad would build a fire, build a campfire. All of a sudden, it didn't mean there wasn't darkness around. Matter of fact, there was still way more darkness than there was light. But all of a sudden, there was this campfire, and I was drawn to it. I didn't want to be more than a few feet from it. I couldn't stop staring at it. Why? Because there was something that drew me in out of the darkness. Listen to me. In that same way, Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. The world is dark, and the people in this world are wandering aimlessly in the dark wandering aimlessly through their lives. They are devoid of the knowledge of God. They cannot see him. 
They are devoid of the knowledge of their true created purpose. They can't see that. They're devoid of eternal hope. They can't find it. But we are the light of the world, and God has called us to shine that light into the darkness and draw them toward the flame of Christ. That's what he means when he says you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now think about this for just a moment. Really all throughout God's word, but in both Old and New Testament, we find Jesus described as light, as the light of the world. Isaiah does it a couple of times. He calls Jesus the light for the nations. In prophesying about Christ who would come, we often read this verse around Christmas time. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, uh, Isaiah said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, right? Prophesying of Christ, but none more powerful than Jesus himself in John chapter 8, where he says, I am the what? Light of the world. Now consider that for just a moment. Jesus, from the beginning of time, has been called the light of the world. In John chapter 8, he called himself the light of the, light of the world. And in Matthew 5, he looks to us and says, you are the light of the world. Does anybody else feel both the awesome glory and the awesome responsibility of sharing that title with Christ? There is a responsibility and a weight to that, but there is a glory to that as well. What is Jesus saying? If he says, I'm the light of the world and you're the light of the world, that if the light of the world dwells inside you, then the light of the world will shine through you. That's what he's teaching us. Here's why it matters that we get this kingdom identity in our mind. Here's why it matters that we know who we are in the kingdom of God. Because for some of you, you hear the words, you are, and you immediately hear the lies of the enemy. Too many of our kingdom citizens hear the words, you are, and we fill in the blank with words like, not enough. You are Guilty. You are a failure. You are nobody. You are worthless. How about this one? You are defined by your past. Anybody have to go to war with that lie? Just me? That's fine. <laughs> but Jesus says, wherever you are, and whatever lie you have believed from the enemy about yourself in Christ. This is for somebody today. In Christ, you are who he says you are. And who he says you are is salt and light, a game changer, a world uh, kingdom builder, a world changer. That's who we are in Jesus Christ. And we need to embrace that kingdom identity. You're salt, you're light. That's the first thing, to, to walk in this uncommon purpose. We have to embrace our kingdom identity. Here's the second thing. You have to recognize your kingdom assignment. Recognize your kingdom assignment. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp 
and put it under a basket. But where do they put it? But on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. The picture here of being set and of being placed is, is, is a picture of something strategic happening, right? Cities were built uh, often with strategy in mind. They would be built on a hill, right? They would be built so whichever way you approached that city, you could see it. They would also oftentimes build the walls with limestone so that even in the moonlight, it would radiate light and be easy to see. They, would, they were specific and strategic in how they built cities. The same thing with an oil lamp that Jesus is talking about. They would light the oil lamp and they would find the place in the house where they could put it so that it gave off the most light to fill the house with light. What's the point? Jesus is saying God has strategically placed you where you are because where you are is where God wants you to shine the light of the gospel. You say, but I don't like where I am. I want to be somewhere else. Jesus is saying, like a city that is set and strategically positioned, and like, like a lamp that is placed, I have strategically put you where you are so that where you are, you will shine the light of the gospel. We all learned the song. We were little. This little light of mine. Come on, Keith Curl, you sing the next verse. No, I'm going, right? We used to sing it all the time. Right? Hide it under a bushel. Nope. <laughs> Won't let the devil get out. I think that last verse isn't biblical, but I, I'm just saying. We used to sing the song, okay? We sang it all the time. <laughs> so, Pastor, I hear you saying, I'm salt and light. I'm hearing you saying, I have a kingdom assignment. But how can I make a difference? I'm the low man on the totem pole where I work. I'm the last person in my school anyone wants to listen to. I'm insignificant. No, we're not going to believe that lie. Remember, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. Jesus has said you are salt and light, which means God has strategically placed you where you are. What if? Could it be? that the students that you spend your time with in school, could it be that the parents you sit next to who are on the ball team with your kids, could it be that the employees you work with and the employees that you lead, could it be that God has placed you in their lives so that you could be salt and light to them? Pastor Todd said this, he said, as kingdom citizens, we must resist the temptation of overlooking present opportunities because we're looking for greater ones down the road. Man, that is true. Anybody ever remember a time maybe where you missed what was in front of you because you were looking for something better? He said, as kingdom citizens, we must resist the temptation of overlooking our present opportunities because we are looking for greater ones down the road. The greatest opportunities in your life are the ones currently in front of you. And you, you may be thinking, you keep saying I'm a world changer. You keep saying I'm a difference maker. How can I change the world from where I am and from what I'm doing? And the answer is stop trying to change the world and just change the room. Just change the room. Be salt and light right where God has put you. Be the light in the room. 
so that where God has placed you, the people around you see God shining through you. What if you saw every person in your life, in your family, uh, your, your friend groups, your social groups, every circle, where whatever circle of influence you have and circle of connection you have, what if every person in that, what if you saw them as people God had entrusted to you to be salt and to be light? He has given these people to you and he has built connection with them for you. Not just so y'all can be buddies so that you can be salt and light, so that you can live out in front of them and with them that saltiness that makes them desire to know God and that light that draws them out of the darkness. What if we saw every person as a person God had entrusted to me? This is, this is the uncommon purpose that we have. I ask that question, what if we see them that way? Because what if, what if in that circle and in that relationship, I'm the only salt they'll ever taste? What if in that circle and in those relationships, I'm the only light they'll ever see? If they don't taste godliness in my life and they don't see the light of Christ shining through my life, they may never see Jesus. We have to recognize our kingdom assignment. Here's the third thing. Here's the last thing. We have to engage the kingdom agenda. We have to engage the kingdom agenda. Look at what Jesus says in the last verse, Matthew 5, verse 16. In the same way, so just like the city that's set, that shines, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What is the kingdom of Jesus? It is nothing less than the glory of Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom. That's the agenda. What is your assignment in this life? I can tell you right now. It is the glory of Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom. We exist to make Jesus known in the world, to make him famous. Believer, listen, this is the central issue and the highest calling of every believer right here, and that is the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. What does 1 Corinthians 10 say? Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Jesus said, just like that city that is strategically placed and set on a hill, just like it can't be hidden, and just like the lamp on the stand shines to fill the room, in that same way, let your light shine before Christ. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In other words, when the life of Jesus is lived in us and through us. The glory of Jesus will be seen all around us. Do you believe that? When the life of Christ is lived through us, the glory of Christ will be seen all around us. And that is the mission of our church. 
That is the mission of New Beginnings. God has lit a lamp called New Beginnings, and he has strategically placed us in the city of Gilmer and in the city of Longview. And our mission is to shine the light of the gospel. Why? So that others would see Jesus and give glory to God. And he scatters us all over the cities to do this in classrooms and doctor's offices and boardrooms and at our workplaces and on the pump jacks and in the hospitals and everywhere we go, he scatters us so that we can be salt and light in our community. And how do, how do we do that? There's two words that I want you to carry away in how we're going to engage the kingdom agenda. Two words, show and share. Show and and share. The first thing we have to do is we have to show our faith. Remember, the entire Sermon on the Mount is all about living out kingdom ethics in everyday life. The whole thing is about how do kingdom citizens live? How do we behave? How do we act? How do we talk? Where do we go? It's living that out, right? So we're showing our faith. Jesus said, in this life that I'm putting in you, when that's lived through you in this world, they will see your good works. Think about everything Jesus said before we got to Matthew 5.13. Everything he said before, starting in Matthew 3, where he said, blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn. Those who are meek and humble, blessed are you when you live with humility. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you. What if we, they see us living out mercy among them and being forgiving and extending kindness? What if they see us living peaceably, working to make peace with others and living with purity in our heart? What if they see us enduring hardship with joy? Jesus says, yes, because when they see that, when they see those good works, it shines my glory. They get to see who Jesus is. You know, when you think about the last time that you, uh, it was late at night maybe, you looked up, the moon was full and bright. I'm talking about one of those so bright you could drive with your headlights off at two in the morning. You know, you remember some of those? Don't do that. It's a terrible idea. You get pulled over. But you know what I'm talking about. So bright that you could see everything you wanted to see. In the middle of the night, did you know that that brightness you were seeing, not one shred of that light originated with the moon? None of it. The moon in itself creates no light. It does one thing. It reflects light from the sun. And every ray of light that we see on those bright Moonlit nights has nothing to do with the moon and everything to do with the sun. And Jesus says in that same way, when you show your faith, they're not going to see your good works and give you glory. Not if you're doing it the way the kingdom citizen does. They're going to see your good works as a reflection of who's in you and give glory to your father, to the originator of light. That's the vision behind For the City, what we're doing next week. Next Sunday, we are going to leave this campus and we are going to go out and serve our city. And we're going to be building things or maybe tearing things up. <laughs> we're going to be cleaning, painting. We're going to be serving. We're going to be in nursing homes. We're going to be in apartment complexes. We're going to be all over this city with a singular purpose to shine the light of Jesus.
to show our faith. But I'm praying that not only do we show it, that was the first word, I'm praying that we share it. That we share it. This is, this is where we point to Jesus. This is where we engage in conversation. This is where we help them connect the dots from the good work they see us doing to the, to the one who did the good work in us. This isn't passive. This is, this is leaning in. This is proactive. Sharing our faith means we live, with the, we live with our heads up and our hearts ready to speak the name of Jesus. Pastor, are you saying it's not enough to just live out the thing? That's what I'm saying. We show it and we share it. And that's what I'm praying. I'm praying that next week as you, those of you that are registered for For the City, planning to be a part, I'm praying that that as you go, you would not only display the good works of Jesus, but you would connect the dots for that person you're serving back to him and his glory and what he can do in their life. That you'll show, I've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and I've been placed into the kingdom of his marvelous light. Let me ask you a question. Is what Jesus has done for you worth seeing him do it for someone else? Is the uncommon life you've been given in Christ worth whatever it costs you to give that life to somebody else? That's what we do. That's what the salt does. That's what the light does. If you want to live with purpose that transcends your circumstances, we need to embrace the kingdom identity. We need to recognize our kingdom assignment, where we have been placed, and we need to engage the kingdom agenda, which is the name of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, and the kingdom of Jesus. My prayer for you this week is that as you go, um, every room you enter, every room you enter, you would be the agent of change in that room. You would be salt and light in that room. And what you'll start to notice is as you live as salt and light, yeah, there's going to be some who that pushes away. There's going to be some who that presses out. And then there's going to be some who are drawn to it because they are dying to taste something more than what they found in this life. Be salt and light where God has placed you. Here's what I want us to do next. Here in a minute. Our ministers are going to be down at the front. I'm just going to have them sit kind of over here to the front. And, and if you, this morning, your confession would be, I don't know that I've ever been taken out of the kingdom of this world and into the kingdom of this life. I'm still putting fig leaves on, Pastor Matt. I'm still trying to fix myself with success and money and people and relationships. And I'm trying, to, I'm trying to gain enough popularity where I feel good about myself or I'm in this habit of making someone else feel less because I just feel a little bit better. And if that's you and you don't know that you have been plucked out of the kingdom of darkness, you can do that today. You can come take the hand of one of our ministers and they will walk with you to help you be transitioned out of that into the kingdom of his marvelous light. But they'll be down here while we worship. What I want us to do right now is we're going to pray for For the City. I'm going to pray. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that here in a moment. But I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. I'm going to ask you to do something just a little bit, uh, maybe uncomfortable. That's okay. We're all friends in here. It's, so... I'm just going to ask you because what we're going to do next Sunday 
is not in this building. It's in our city. It's not in this building. It's out at your neighbor's house. It's out in their neighborhood. It's out into the world that we're in, but not of. And, and so what I want us to do right now is I just want us to stretch our hands towards these exterior walls. You can turn and face it, both hands. You can, you can do, I just want you to, in an act of faith, and in an act of believing, and in an act of asking God to use you outside these walls next week and this week, I want you to stretch your hand toward these walls as we pray. Let's do that. Father, I'm asking that in Jesus' name and by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as we leave this place, we would be agents of change in the world. God, I'm praying right now for my neighbors that don't know you. I'm praying right now, God, for the students in the classrooms that do not know you and feel hopeless in their life. God, I'm praying right now for the coworkers that we see every single day who are living their lives without joy and without peace because they don't know Jesus. Jesus. God, I'm praying for, for the city next week. I pray that every yard we walk into would lead to a gospel conversation. Every nursing home, every neighborhood, every apartment complex, God, that everywhere we go, they would see and godliness being lived out and they would be so drawn to it like moths to the flame, they would come running to the name of Jesus. We're asking for that, God. Use us to change the room. And we'll trust you to change the world. We love you and we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name.